The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abul Samad. So before we get to the cars, um, which I know you're dying to talk about, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we are going to talk about the sales and earnings just happened. Uh, We're in the fourth quarter now, so it's it's quarterly sales and and earnings. Um, There's been some, some volatility here and there, some, you know. Sedans still are terrible, so that's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, car car sales were down, um, you know, pretty much everywhere. Uh, You know, at Honda, the Civic was off like 21%, I think, or something like that, and Accord was down 10%. Um, You know, Toyota's down, Ford's down. Everybody's down on cars, and I think that, you know, what we saw from Ford earlier this year when they said that they're getting out of the business of making cars – uh, or at least making sedans uh, is something that we're going to be hearing more about. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I, I think that you know we're going to hear the same thing from other manufacturers in the in the coming months. Yeah, the, the things things are tough out there if you don't make trucks. Um, and we'll talk about Consumer Reports reliability. Uh, they ranked their sort of most reliable brands uh, for 2018. So that's always kind of interesting to see what they have to say. Um, and then there were a couple of things that are tied to uh, just sort of e- economy and fuel economy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, GM buyouts and cost cuts. And then they also turned around and, and had some response to um, emission standards rollbacks. So we'll get to all those things. But first, the most exciting part <laughs> of the pot. Well, I don't want to say that because sometimes the rest is more exciting. Anyway. Uh, we'll talk about what we're driving. Uh, and, and you had one of my favorites. You had the Toyota CHR. Yeah. Uh, so I had the CHR last week and, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot I like about that, that car. And, you know, while Toyota calls it a crossover, you know, uh, in my review on Forbes, you know, I, I made it clear that, you know, most of these things that companies are bringing out that they're calling crossovers, they're just cars. They're tallish hatchbacks. Yeah, you know? that one's definitely not a crossover. It it has has potential, and in other countries, other markets, it's more of a crossover. But here, it's it's definitely not the way it's configured, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, um, here here in the U.S. market, the the CHR is only available in front wheel drive form. There's no all wheel drive option, at least not yet, anyway. Uh, overseas, you can get it with with all wheel drive, uh, which, as you say, does make it slightly more crossover ish. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting to compare. You know, Toyota's got these two 
five door hatchbacks in their lineup now. They've got the the new Corolla hatchback, uh, which just launched this summer, and the CHR, um, which are both sit on the same one hundred and three point nine inch wheelbase. You know, they're I think they're they're both on the TNGA platform, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, they they both have the same kind of suspension layout. They're they're virtually the same size inside. You know, like eighty four and eighty five cubic feet. Um, and you know, I think the the Corolla's got an extra cubic foot of passenger space, but one less cubic foot of cargo space, something like that. So <laughs> overall, overall, they're effectively the same size inside. They they moved the seat back an inch or something. The, yeah, yeah. the the <laughs> the only The only difference, you know, is that the CHR um, it sits uh, its ground clearance is about three quarters of an inch higher than the Corolla, and its roof is about three inches higher. So here's what's weird to me though is when that Corolla hatch first when the first drives were happening and early reviews everybody you know was was effusive about how good it is and if it's the same stuff as the CHR there's this uh, there's some people who will grudgingly admit that the CHR is entertaining i was shocked at how really it really surprised me how good the CHR is and and so it's that underlying set of components that makes up the TNGA platform it's good everywhere i've tried it and i feel like the CHR because it's a little more highly styled and it's it's a little harder to figure out what exactly it is because it's you know it's the pseudo crossover, but to us car people, we really want to put cars in categories. <laughs> so yeah, well, we, we have a hard time Mark, with that. Uh, well, let, let, let's let's you know let's not go overboard here. Not all of us necessarily <laughs> want to put cars in categories. Marketers want to put cars in categories, right? And we follow I don't know that sheep. the rest of us necessarily want to do that. Well, it, right. Uh, it takes a little while before we stop thinking in that categorical sense like oh well for a crossover it's great and for this it's you know what i mean at a certain point they're all just vehicles and some are better at some jobs than others and you know the chr i I don't know i i was highly entertained by it i thought it rode pretty well and handled pretty well it it went down the road with a little bit more verve uh than i thought it would especially i had it pretty close to the same time i had a corolla sedan which is not tnga yeah, well, the I, sedan is still the old Corolla. You know, yeah, I think, and that's I think bad. Some, probably sometime next year <laughs> we'll get we'll get an, an all new Corolla based on the the new platform. Uh, right. But the the hatchback is you know that's based on the new platform. Yeah, and then and, it's, so the old platform is it, like it's it's not it's not bad in Corolla terms. It's bad in person who likes to drive terms. So yeah. I'm glad that they're going to move it. Um, but anyway, enough about me. How about your well, thoughts about the CHR? Well, you know the. The thing, you know, I, I actually, I, I do like the styling of the CHR. You know, it's it's obviously a little more bold and out there, you know, and what I wrote in my review, you know, when I thought, when I looked at it and thought about it, you know, what it kind of reminds me of is like an early 90s uh, world rally car, you know, where, okay. you know, it was the post group B era, you know, kind of the, uh, the Lancia Delta Integrale, um, you know, uh, Subaru, uh, Impreza era, you know, so kind of that era where, you know, they, they still looked, you know, like kind of, kind of like regular cars, but, you know, 
bigger, big bulging fenders, you know, obviously more power, you know, not crazy wings, you know, kind of, you know, kind of middling wings. And so this is kind of what it reminded me of from a design standpoint is, you know, something that would have fit right in, in that era of, of world rally championship cars. Um, but you know, and the the driving dynamics, as you say, I, I I like the driving dynamics. I thought it was quite good. You know, I you know that is a good balance of ride quality and and general, uh, you know, um, ha- handling capability. Uh, you know, it's it's agility and and maneuverability. That was all good. You know, and it's a good size. I like the size of the thing. Um, the the thing I found disappointing about it though was the powertrain. Yeah, because it's got single powertrain. Yes, here (laughs) here in the U.S. market, we only have a single option for powertrain: two liter four cylinder engine uh, with a a screaming 144 horsepower um, and 130 some foot pounds of torque. um, And those are those are 1990s. Those are early 90s numbers for a two liter. Yeah, Uh, well, (laughs) uh, early 2000s, early 2000s. Late nineties, early two thousands era. We've gotten a little spoiled, I guess. Is my yeah, um, <laughs> my point. You know, which in and of itself is not necessarily a, a terrible thing. Um, you know, to to have you know that level of power, you know, one hundred forty four horsepower is you know generally adequate. But it's going it's through enough. a CV. It's going through a CVT, which is it's not the you know the most aggressively calibrated CVT in the world. You know, it certainly doesn't match up with you know what you'll typically get in a Nissan product or or a Honda. Yeah. Uh, with a CVT. Um, <clears throat> but the, you know, going back to the comparison to the Corolla hatchback, the Corolla hatchback also has a two liter naturally aspirated four cylinder engine, but, but it has 24 more horsepower and 12 more foot pounds of torque. And is it the same engine? It's, it's a variation of the same engine. Um, I think that the, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the, the, um, the Corolla version is direct injected. And I think this one's port injected. So okay. it's ba- it's All based right. on the same engine architecture, but I mean it's the same displacement though. You know, so it's yeah. a, it's the same it's the same physical size. You could drop it in. Uh, you know, so the decision to use this less powerful engine in this one here is a, a little baffling, especially considering that the CHR also weighs two hundred and forty pounds more than the Corolla, for no readily apparent reason. Um. Well, I mean it's it's got to have a little bit more heft. It's got to gotta cash those checks that the styling writes i don't, yeah, I, guess. I, don't I don't know i yeah. can't i can't yeah, i mean it. i'm not i'm not sure where that extra 200 pounds went but you know um you know in, in terms of the interior you know the, the the front the front uh the front part of the cabin is fine i have no issues with it although you know the the toyota entune infotainment system is you know yeah, it is what it is. We've talked about it before, and we don't need to beat that dead horse again. Um, it it does have Apple CarPlay support now, but doesn't yet support Android Auto. That may or may not come at some point for these for these vehicles. Um, but uh, the the other thing, you know, one of the the downsides of the the styling, the way it's designed, you know, you've got that the belt line sweeps up, you know, towards the back, um, which means that you have rather thick C pillars and also the, the doors, you know, the windows on the glass on the rear doors is kind of small. And if you sit in the back seat, um, you end up with kind of a claustrophobic feeling because you've got these really, this really thick pillar area, um, you know, cause you, you end up sitting, 
um, you know, your head is, you know, between the sheet metal, it's behind the rear windows entirely. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's not, you don't have the greatest visibility to the back end out of this thing. Um, well, I don't even think the visibility out of it is that, is that good. Um, like rearward visibility for the driver. I didn't. Yeah, it no, it's, it's not, you know, but I mean, it's, it, it's no, it's no work. You know, the over the shoulders visibility is bad. Straight back is about comparable to what you get in a lot of modern vehicles, you know, that have a high rear deck and everything, you know, so yeah. it's not, it's not, which you is know, to it's say not, bad. It's not, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not good, but it's, it's yeah. not especially worse than many other vehicles. So, you know. Yeah, it's right. it's a low it's, bar, it's, right? It's <laughs> or, as bad or a high deck in this class. case. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so, did you think that it overall feels space inefficient inside? You know, it, it, when you st- well, it, what really drove it home was parking it next to something that was ten years or fifteen years old. I, I forget what I parked next to with the CHR, but I noticed it's a small car in our minds, but I got out of like, this thing's enormous. Yeah. And no, it, it's, outside. it's it, yeah. I mean, from a packaging standpoint, it's, it's not great. Um, you know, I mean, you compare it to, for example, the Honda civic hatchback that we've got in our garage, you know, the, the civic is only a couple inches longer than the CHR, but inside, you know, the CHR has 84 cubic feet of passenger space. The, the civic has 97, you know, yeah. So that's, I mean, it's it's lot. got significantly more room inside, especially in the back seat, but even yeah. even in the front seat as well. Um, so, but you know, granted, Honda are like the experts in packaging smaller vehicles. You know, they 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 they, they do better than anybody else at squeezing more interior volume out of a out of a particular size vehicle footprint than anybody. Um, so, but still, you're right. I mean, the packaging is not not fantastic uh on either this one or the corolla but it's still you know it's it's a nice car to drive i i I enjoyed it you know and if only they would put something like say oh one five or 1.6 liter turbo four-cylinder in there uh and maybe put in the six-speed manual that's available in the in the corolla yeah i was just gonna say be a lot more fun i actually i think that would make the chr Almost an enthusiast car if you could put the manual in it, even with the, just even with the two liter. That yeah, fine. I mean, you know, if you could, you know, I mean, you can you can easily get you know 175, 180 uh, horsepower out of a two liter, even without a turbo. You know, you put 175 horsepower uh, two liter in this thing with a manual transmission, you could have some serious fun with this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it looks good. I love that they do the two-tone now where you can buy it with the this sort of like the white roof and the red body and stuff. There's one around town. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a couple way. of different combinations you can get with the two-tone, which, you know, I, th- I think, you know, of all the, the recent design trends, you know, the, the return of two-tone uh, exterior finishes, I think, you know, is probably one of the – one of the ones I like the best, you know, because just anything that gets us away from the monochromatic black, white, or gray or silver finishes, um, you know, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, so it's it's not it's kind of a mixed bag then with the CHR. Yeah, I mean, like I say, overall I like it. Just to you know, the my main my main complaint is the powertrain. You know, everything else you know is tolerable. Yeah, I I think I agree on that. Uh, the the thing that I liked about it was it's a Toyota powertrain, so you can just wring its neck mercilessly and yeah. not really worry about it. <laughs> so as long as you remember to change the oil when it tells you to, then you'll be good to go. Yeah, 
So, you know. Because uh, you, you, you don't want to end up with sludge in the crankcase. No. And I think that most of the people that buy that particular car, they're pretty studious about knowing who's buying it and what's important to them. Because no matter what we say, uh, Toyota still manages to sell pretty much more cars than just about anybody. Except for, like, them and GM still flip-flop, but still. Uh, yeah, um, actually, well, I mean, glo- on a global level, it's it's to- it's now Toyota, Volkswagen, and the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance. Um, all three of them are, like, neck and neck globally. So, see, it, it took my eye off the ball. It doesn't make news when it's all foreign automakers. You know, they only talk about it when it's... Yeah, it's like GM getting its ass kicked. Uh, all right, so you, well, but you also like right now you've you've made the jump into true luxury. Uh, yeah, I, did, I made the jump into luxury. It actually, the that one went went away yesterday, um, and we'll talk about what I have now next week. But but I also oh. had the the chance to spend uh, spend a week with the Genesis G ninety, uh, which is my first time in in the big Genesis. You know, I've, I've been in the. The midsize, uh, the G80, um, and looking forward to you know in the not too distant future, hopefully getting into the the, the new G70, um, which is the smaller sedan. But the the G90 was very very impressive, um, you know, especially you know for a big honking luxury sedan, you know, uh, you know as you as you would expect from anything from the Hyundai Motor Group, you know, from any of the brands, even Genesis, you know, it's it's a you know, surprisingly good value. You know, I mean, we're talking a big full-size sedan with all-wheel drive and a five-liter V8 with, you know, closing on 400 horsepower um, for like seventy-five thousand dollars. And and that's you know, like it, with there's no there's no options at that point, or is it pretty pretty, pretty much? That's pretty loaded. much it. Um, yeah. You know, and I act. You know, it's it doesn't have all of the things that you'll find in a Mercedes. S class or uh, or BMW seven or an Audi A eight, um, you know it 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 doesn't have things like uh, you know active park assist, you know that'll that'll park the car for you, um, you know the ADAS the the driver assist stuff is is relatively basic, you know with adaptive cruise control and lane keeping and and blind spot monitoring, uh, so it doesn't do things like auto lane changes or any of that stuff, but overall, you know I think. Yeah, and it also doesn't have th- you know massaging seats, which is you know kind of do miss that sometimes you know from the from the Mercedes. <laughs> but uh, you know when you're when you're spending a, you know decent amount of time in the car, those can be handy sometimes. Well, you can get you can get one of those um, the seat covers like the cabbies use, right? With all the it looks like an abacus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I I actually I prefer the motorized uh, variety, but oh, okay. The, the the abacus ones, you know, I just I find myself just kind of rolling off those. Yeah, you take a corner hard, and you just <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's ball bearings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but but a, anyway, you know, um, you know the the thing, you know, what what I did like, you know, in the interior, you know, because it doesn't have, you know, every conceivable feature that you'll f- typically find on, you know, the big Germans. Um, you know, it also. It also means that the interior, you know, is a little more restrained. Um, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't appear as flashy uh, or as over the top, which I like. You know, I, I like something that's a um, you know a little more that that shows some restraint to it. Um, you know, and overall, I thought it you know it all worked. You know, what was there worked really well. You know, it was comfortable. It was quiet. Um, it was smooth riding. Um, one, one, it, you know, one issue I did have with the, 
you know, going back to the infotainment again, uh, unlike uh, all the current Hyundais and Kias, it doesn't yet have support in the, the Genesis infotainment system for CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, it does have a rotary control knob, um, like, like a BMW, but um, it actually doesn't work as as well. The the user inter the interface on the screen that shows up on the screen, you know, when you go to enter uh, a navigation destination or something like that, um, is not as good because for some reason, you know, on a on a BMW with iDrive, you know, when you go to enter a destination, it brings up um, a a, uh, a circular. Uh, display of all the yeah. letters, you know, and they're, you know, they're in alphabetical order from A to Z and, you know, zero to one for the, the numbers and everything, or zero to nine for the numbers. Um, and you, you twist the, the knob, you know, and press down to select the ones you want. Um, on the Genesis, you know, when you go to enter a destination or, or anything else, uh, it brings up a traditional QWERTY keyboard layout. You know, so now you're you're scrolling back and forth with the knob to go through a you know to go back and forth uh, through a QWERTY keyboard and then select the letters, which so I find to like, be a yeah, it's a lot slower. Yeah, it's it sounds like they they wanted the rotary knob function, so they bought that from the supplier. <laughs> but but tacked <laughs> it on to just the a, 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 right. a touchscreen GUI. Right. Um, yeah. I mean. And that, that system probably because of where the G80 or G90 is, uh, it's it's probably in line to be refreshed soon anyway. Because I don't think it's been recently redone, right? It would uh, not since it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, so I I would guess probably sometime before the end of 2019 we'll see a a refresh, and hopefully that will include a refresh of the the interface and the infotainment system. Yeah. So it, I mean, actually, the, I mean, the rest of the system is fine. You know, the rest of the system, you know, is, is easy to navigate around. It's just the the uh, entry, the destination entry when you're using the knob. Yeah. Well, and, and like that stuff moves so fast too. Like that's just uh, even if they don't redesign the rest of the car, they could they could conceivably update that system with a model year change if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Um, and so you had the five liter. So that's the ultimate. Uh, yeah. Right. Like ultimate trim. So that's that's like yeah. That is like everything. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of much. I don't think there's much else that could have gone on there. Um, so yeah, it was no, it was really good. I I enjoyed it a lot. And that yeah, that, I love that Tau V8 and everything it's in. Uh, it yeah. Just it sounds good. It's really strong and. It's yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the G90, you know, it's carrying more sound insulation, you know, so it's it, it, the the engine the engine sound is more muted than it would be in a G80, uh, but still, you you can hear it, you know, coming through there a little bit. It's got a nice growl to it, um, so you know, it it's it fits with you know where this car fits in the lineup and and who it's supposed to appeal to. Yeah, and so. I think this is what this is like the second generation or third technically of of Genesis uh, sedans. It, I guess it got a little muddy when they sort of broke off into their own brand, and they now they've got three different sizes. Yeah, well, um, so what you know when they when they launched, you know, they had the original Genesis sedan and the coupe, which was sort of semi related to it, um, and then they had uh, they brought out the. You know, and that was badged as a Hyundai, and then they brought out the Hyundai Equus, um, and the G90 was the replacement for the Equus, um, and then the G80 was the replacement for the original Genesis sedan. Okay. And now they're adding the G70, and then next year we'll also be seeing some crossovers added to the lineup as well. 
Yeah, they've been sort of slow rolling out this this new luxury brand, which was interesting because when they came out with the the Genesis model, it was a few years ago now. They specifically kind of they didn't dodge the question, but they said, you know, right now at this point, we're not going to launch a brand because that's it's a billion plus dollar initiative, and we want to get the model recognized first. and And I think they were successful as that at that you know to the Re- point where reasonably successful them, yeah yeah we're, we're still calling them hyundai genesis you know it's kind of like dodge ram right like yeah everybody still calls it dodge ram even though ram is its own brand so it'll be interesting to see how well they uh they continue to really get genesis standing on its own i think the g70 will help with that uh, yeah it, sh- it should help a lot um yeah. you know and it's just starting to get shipped to dealers i can i think this month um so they're they're not really out there yet which you know but the thing is you know starting this brand in you know in 2017 2018 with a lineup of nothing but sedans it probably wasn't the the best timing um you yeah. know i mean if you if you look you know just looking at the the sales numbers for october um genesis the genesis brand is down 45% year to date uh in sales and for october they were down 79% october of last year they sold 1786 um g80s and g90s this past month they sold 372 cars that's that's just not that's not good. So oh, wait, they they well, sell these you know, cars in Korea too, though, right? Like, well, they're... this is just for this is just for the U.S. This is right. U.S. So sales. That's a, the, the leap I'm making is that while they sell these cars here, they probably sell more of them in their. Oh home yeah, market. yeah. No, so, they they. I'm sure I'm sure they probably do sell more of them in uh, in South Korea. Um, I think you know the the issue though is I don't think that they have. Um, a separate Genesis brand in South Korea, or or maybe they do. I'm I'm not sure. But here in the U.S., you know they've uh, you know they've had in setting up Genesis as a standalone brand apart from Hyundai and Kia, they have required uh, dealers to invest in you know, in separate showrooms for these things. Yeah. You know, so dealers are spending you know millions of dollars to set up showrooms for these things, and people aren't buying them because they're as good as they are, they're not the right vehicles for the market in 2018. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a credible competitor to the, the Lexus LS or the, even the 7 Series or S-Class or, you know, the Audi A8. I, I think they're they're right in there, and they are definitely a better value. You know, they're, they're the big sedan in that class if you've really – you've had those cars with the badges and you just don't care about the badge. You just – you want the luxurious big sedan. And I, you know, it's, it's a good choice, but it's just without an SUV or a crossover in the lineup. Yeah, I, they're taking a shellacking. Yeah. Um, so, what about so you? I, What'd you drive? Yeah, I I was in a very luxurious truck uh, last week. I had the uh, two. I think it was actually a 2018, but it was the uh, Ford F150 Limited. Uh, so that's basically. Um, you know, when you put a limited badge on something these days, it kind of doesn't really mean much. It's just another trim level. But uh, the F-150 Limited means a little bit more. It's basically, I think, the F-150 Platinum with the Raptor EcoBoost V6 in it. So it's 300 or 400-something horsepower. 
uh, and 510 pound-feet of torque, uh, which is all right there all the time. I mean, that, that's such a good combo, especially with the new 10-speed automatic. It, there's, I don't think there's a better powertrain in full-size pickup land than, than that particular engine. It, it's just really good. Uh, it goes very well, and it's got plenty of power. And because it's turbocharged, it, it has the torque where you need it. It's not like the old modular. Which is pretty much anywhere. <laughs> any, yeah. At any, t- any time, any speed. Yeah. I, man, I think it's it's really it's a great application for that engine. You know, Because the, the old modulars, they, they, were, they didn't make their power until you got them a little bit up in the in rpm they didn't have as much low end torque as like the even the older you know windsors and clevelands that were in the, the engines before so uh i think it's it's it just makes the truck so docile you know it's because it's got plenty of power to move this heavy big thing with quite a bit of authority uh but so the, in the limited um i think they're trying to make this a very kind of special trim level at least to the people that will buy them you know it has a plaque in the front armrest with the vin and it's it's series number etched into it which i i didn't expect you know and the one that i was driving was uh the eighth made it was number zero 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 eight so <laughs> Uh, so it was probably a, a pre-production model. I was going to say it's going to get the, crushed. Those are those are usually the ones that go in. Well, no, it, actually, it probably won't get crushed because it, oh. you know it'll it'll you know it's it's probably uh, you know a late pre-production model, which you know is what they you know in the industry they call it a saleable vehicle. So it's production spec, but it's uh, it, typically these are built before um, you know they're they're like the last batch built before they get the okay to ship to dealers. And you know most of those most of those vehicles are ones that go in go to marketing. Uh, they go in the press fleet. Um, some of them go to you know to engineering, and they also go to um, like to to people at the companies that that get company cars. So yeah. you know the, the your you know your company cars usually come from that. And they typically what they do is you know they they deliver those to employees to drive. Uh, before they get the the final sign off to ship them to dealer to ship the new models to dealers, um, you know to check for any last minute glitches and bugs, and um, so then you know once they you know after the the six months or twelve months you know that they you know every, whenever they rotate those vehicles out um, they'll, they'll go to auction and they will get sold as used cars. But they those they, are going to be they're, the they're, ones that like make the techs scratch their heads when they come in because they're, they're going to be like, oh, this one's this one's early. So it, it, it yeah. doesn't have any of those running changes, you know? Yeah, uh, and, that, and that may be the case sometimes. You know, but usually they will, you know, they'll go back, you know, if, they're, if those are, you know, if they're pre-production models, they're saleable pre-production models, they'll usually go back, you know, they'll go through a refurbishment center, you know, and get all the updates before they actually go to auction anyway. Huh. Well, I mean, hey, that's 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 good. I think there's no more valid torture test than giving one of these things to a bunch of journalists to drive for <laughs> six months or a year. So that's not pilot production then, like late pilot. That's like that's out of pilot. That's yeah, it's out of out of pilot. Just you know the the last you know the last batch before the 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 ones that go to dealers. You know the yeah. ones the ones that are sold as new to customers. Yeah, well, and you know they've worked a lot of the bugs so out of the. So they they, they go to, they go to the people that you know that aren't paying for them. 
Right. <laughs> so, because we'll, we'll treat it the the worst, like, uh, and and that's the thing. Um, the limited is it's a lot of money for an F one fifty. Um, this one stickered right up against, uh, boy, let me see. Um, well, limited starts at 67,000. Yeah. I think this one was solidly in the seventies. Um, I wanted to say it stickered right up against 75. It didn't quite, it didn't have the Monroni in it. So it's just, it's, it's a lot of money for a pickup, especially an F-150. I mean, it's, it is really well equipped, but it's equipped like a luxury car. And so, you know, I think that's what people want in their trucks at this level. And it is nice, but, uh, you know, you can sit in this 70 plus thousand dollar truck and there are areas where you see all the way down through the trim levels to the XL, you know, there's cheap plastic around, uh, that that's kind of noticeable in the F-150. That's, that's one of the things I actually don't like about it, but it's also like, that's just, it's not a work truck at that point. You know, and that's – it's kind of – I have a, a problem making that leap to just an F-150 that's that expensive. You know, yes, it has a lot of horsepower. There's more to- – you know, plenty of torque. The interior materials are upgraded where they can be. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like a cross the, between an F-150 and an old-school town car. The limiteds <laughs> you know? are the ones that, that are – you know, that are driven by the owner of the construction firm, not by the carpenters yeah. and plumbers and, and so on that are actually hauling their tools around. So the owner drives around in, a, in an F-150 limited or one of right. the Super Duty limiteds, you know, right. or, well, or maybe they, they, the, the guy that owns the ranch, you know, not his ranch hands. Right. And they – you know, it's definitely got enough uh, muscle under the hood to tow that fifth wheel. Uh, trailer wherever you want to go. No, uh, well, except you you can't do a fifth wheel with an F one fifty. You have to step up to a Super Duty for that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. See, that's that's silly. Then, like, the engine with an F one fifty, you're limited to a mere twelve thousand pounds. You know, with a, a trailer. You know, okay, a, so that's a, a trailer on a hitch. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it'll it'll pull a class three. Well, it'll pull this thing. Will pull twelve thousand pounds without breaking a sweat. Oh yeah, uh, easily. I mean. 510 foot pounds of torque. That's more than the heaviest of heavy duty pickups had not too long ago. So, uh, but the other things that don't make sense to me are, you know, it's got these 22 inch polished wheels with sort of low profile tires on it. You're going to get stuck in the mud (laughs) with that. And it's got powered running boards. Like those to me, uh, they're going to break. Now I get the point that they're, they're like a, an arrow thing. So they tuck up out of the way and they, they reduce your, um, your fuel consumption. I, I get that, but you know, there's, well, or, zero and, you know, when you, when you're going, when you're going off-roading, you know, tucking them up, you know, up against the body, you know, keeps them from getting ripped off by all the, yeah, the rocks. Right. Right. But who's going to go off road with this? I just think, no, I, and I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I agree. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something, you know, it's more for the, for the arrow and and also just for the overall appearance than anything else. Yeah, yeah, and, and like they they work, you know, because it is it's tall to get up into. But the, what worries me from an owner perspective is just like every time you open the door, those things buzz out, and then you close the door and they buzz back in. So when you think about that, like you know, there's no duty cycle on a pipe that is bolted to the frame. <laughs> <laughs> that is what most running boards are. Uh, these things cycle every single time. And, you know, I'm sure Ford tested it and they have a, you know, particular lifespan for all this stuff. And 
they, they know how long it's going to last and what it's going to take to fix it, what parts typically break, all, all of that stuff. But that's like this truck is it's like the 77 Continental of pickup trucks. It's it's got that old school like luxury <laughs> car interior, you know, <laughs> with and the leather was blue, like an unnatural blue. So uh, that sort of drove that home for me. It may have been just the way this one was I- equipped. Um, and it just, it also rides like it weighs a million pounds. So I, I kind of didn't like the way it, it rode and handled it. Just, it felt really ponderous. It, you know, nothing, nothing bad. It, it's certainly easy to control and, and it didn't, didn't have any bad habits. It just felt big and heavy. It's the, the F-150 is definitely not as, um, as agile as like the Ram, you know, the, yeah. the Ram really takes the cake. You know, in terms of its driving dynamics. Yeah, and that's I had this discussion with a a group of uh, other uh, enthusiasts, and you know, they said, "You're all you're out of your mind. Like the Rams, just they rust out, and they're not reliable, and they're a Chrysler product." I was like, "I, you know, I'm just saying, (laughs) from a driver's (laughs) perspective, the Rams are better. I I understand they're not as efficient, and they're they're kind of an older truck now." Although they just got redone. Well, yeah, no, the, I mean the so. the Ram fifteen hundred is brand new this year. Yeah, you know, it's it's all new from the ground up, uh, and you know it's <clears throat> it actually gets better fuel economy than this one um, with the uh, the Hemi with the e torque the mild hybrid system. Yeah, I, and and the Ram is really my benchmark, especially if you're spending seventy thousand dollars or even you know sixty eight thousand because you're trying not to add any options, you're trying to keep the price reasonable. Uh, you look around in this in the F one fifty and you just you see areas of cheapness. You know, they did they tried to cover the dash with some leather and extra padding and it has has real wood trim in the doors, but because of some of the other cheapness around you you look at it with skepticism. Is that real wood or is it plastic wood? Uh so it, I'm not sure how successfully it's it attains that limited sort of luxury status you know i think that if you want luxury there there is you know there's the uh what is the gm version of it yeah i mean it's the, the silverado denali, right yeah oh uh, yeah or, the or, yeah the the uh, sierra gmc sierra denali would be the right the closest there's there's also a, a a new silverado trim level that you know there's one of these premium trucks as well yeah so those are pretty nice the ram laramie i think is their their top trim or do they have one above that? um there, there's a ram limited now yeah. So you know everybody, everybody's got a limited. <laughs> yeah, and they're and like those are those are nice. The last Ram I had was quite nice, uh, and that was a fifteen hundred, and it was it was it was not. I don't think it was the top top trim. It might have been though. I, I forget. I don't. Know. E- either way, uh, but I mean, yeah, even I, even the Laramie is you know is really impressive. Yeah, and it's it's actually you know kind of in the middle of the the lineup now. You get above that, you got the Laramie Longhorn, and then the Limited at the top, uh, yeah. which starts at a at a mere fifty fifty four thousand dollars. <laughs> so expensive. I mean, it's just it's funny to, to. So I will say, you look at the price as I looked at the price, and I was like, well, wait a minute now, Ford is offering, uh, and this is still a lot of money. But it's they're offering like a six hundred and twenty six dollar per month lease on it right now, at least in New England. And so yeah, that's a lot of money, but it's way less than a payment for seventy something thousand dollars would be on a typical car loan. So that's a really good deal if you well, have Well, you know, the reason the cash. reason why they can do those kinds of leases is because the, the resale value on these things is just 
nuts. Oh, I bet you know, it's absurd, they, yeah. they, they, you know, they hold their value better than most cars do. Um, you know, because they, they last a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, if you're somebody with that kind of cash, right? Like you are that, that somewhat older owner of the company and you don't expect to keep it forever. You want to jump from a luxury truck to a luxury truck every three or four years or two to three years. That, that lease is well within your budget. And oh, easily you can drive this truck. Uh, like uh, again, six hundred and something dollars a month. That's a, that's a lot of money, but it's not it's not absurd money when you're you, you know you've been working for a while. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's something an average, higher than average person, I guess, could could swing. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I think that there's other pickups in the class are better to drive, and that's always been my complaint about the F one fifty, even with the aluminum. Uh, cab you know it feels it's solid but it just it feels ponderous and uh the other thing i didn't like was the the lane keeping system and it took me i think two or three days to find the button that shuts <laughs> off the the little thump through the steering wheel that uh-huh. makes it feel like you've got like a, a you know a tie rod that's ready to come apart uh, <laughs> and i hate it so much <laughs> it's like okay because there's two settings there's it'll alert with the little you know, mm-hmm. series of thumps through the steering column, and then uh, it'll also assist. And it, so then it tries to steer you back, and you wind up fighting this gargantuan truck with this overly sensitive system, and you go weaving down the road. And uh, yeah, I I was so happy the day I found the button to shut that system off. <laughs> I like it. I guess it's useful, but if you can't control this truck, maybe you should consider the Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, hey, they started I, production of those last week. So yeah, I mean, or you you could get yourself a very nice Colorado if you wanted to see what it's like on the other side of. Well, uh, well, clear, clearly, you know, a lot of people disagree with you because through October, Ford sold just shy of seven hundred and fifty thousand of those so far this year. Of the F one fifty of the of the F series, yeah, both the the one fifties and the Super Duties. Yeah, I mean, so that's probably that's probably about two thirds. Um, F-150s, so probably about half a million F-150s in the first 10 months of the year, and the rest uh, Super Duties. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of trucks, and, and a lot of them, I'm sure, are, well, I don't know what the mix of fleet is. I'm sure it's, you know, it's significant because fleets buy a lot of pickups, and I don't think Ford really minds that. Uh, you get a lot of work out of them. You get a lot of work out of any pickup these days. They're all pretty solid for the first, I don't know, decade. Yeah. <laughs> um the from a like a buying it as a personal vehicle perspective it's it's just it's hard to justify a truck anyway but this one too you know it's got the enormous four door cab which is nice it's spacious but the the bed is kind of small and your your payload I don't know what it is with the um with the eco well, this, this is, probably yeah, no big deal. the the limited is only available on the super crew with the short bed which is five and a half feet long. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of short. Um, on the the lesser trim levels, you can get a super crew with a longer bed, with a six and a half or an eight foot bed. Yeah, um, and that you know that if you're going to use it as a truck, that's definitely more useful. Yeah, um, but, I, but I think anybody who spends, if you want a work truck, then you're spending seventy grand. You're buying a Super Duty. You're buying like an F three fifty. Yeah, well, you know. I'm I'm just looking at uh, looking at uh, the Ford sales report. Uh, they actually do break out. Um, Fleet sales, and so far through through October, thirteen um, percent of their total sales were commercial fleet, 
wow. which is which is probably mostly trucks, uh, mostly pickup trucks. Um, six six percent was government fleet sales, uh, which is probably mostly uh, things like ex- <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean some some border patrol. I mean, rap, you know, some Raptors for border patrol. They do use Raptors. Right. Um, do they really? And, oh yeah. Yeah, they use they use Raptors uh, for Border Look, Patrol. They also people use. People who are regular- walking don't need to move that fast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, and eleven percent was uh, daily rental, which is going to be mostly fusions uh, and focuses. So, thirteen so percent is actually that's about half of what I thought it might be. So, that that's pretty good. Yeah. Good. Good for them. They're getting people to buy. Uh, well, and that's I, I, as we roll into our other topic. I think there's there's reasons for that, like people ponying up now versus waiting. Well, you um, you had one you had one other vehicle, right? I did, and I'll just touch on it sort of briefly because we've been y- yammering for a while. But I have the Acura MDX A spec, uh, and this is this is new for 2019. Um, I think the A spec is yeah. a new model. Yeah, it's new. Uh, it's new on the MDX. They had it on the yeah. RDX and the uh, TLX so far. Boy, is this thing good. Uh, it, it's just, I really like the way it looks. It, it actually kind of visually, it, it's shrunken. Um, I don't know whether it's just the A-spec trim that makes it look a little tidier or whatever, but I was, I, at first I thought it was an RDX, and then I realized, oh, I have three rows. This is not, <laughs> this is the MDX. Um, you know, the, the way they, they, dress up their A-spec vehicles is nice. It's, it's understated. The materials are really good. The ride and handling is excellent. Um, it, there's, there's very little to complain about here, except for... Oh, come on. I know you can do it. Huh? I oh, know you can uh, yeah. come up with something. Yeah, with the, the infotainment, and I can complain a lot about that. Uh, it's it's just a damn shame. It's still got two screens, and you don't know. You, know, you get that the lower screen that converts to a touch screen thing, and the upper screen that there's some info there, and there's it, it, it's confusing about which button you're supposed to push to get which settings. You know, you press settings, and you get settings for like whatever mode the upper screen is in, and if you want to get to the phone, you got to press the phone button first. It, so that needs some work. The rest of the vehicle is fantastic uh, to the to the point where, you know, I think I, on Twitter I gave it like a seven and a half out of ten. Like if I were looking to spend my own money on something like this, I would seriously consider it. I might not consider the A-spec because it's $56,000, but I think it's still at that level. It's a decent value when you compare it with, you know, BMW or uh Audi or Mercedes. Like you get a vehicle that's got good space, good efficiency. It's really well put together. It's solid. It rides and handles well, especially for something so large and like a family vehicle. Uh, and you know, there's really, there's no options left at $56,000 and you can drive an X five way, way, way up there in price. So yeah, you, you, you'll miss out a little bit. You won't get, you know, there's no hybrid version of it. You won't get a crazy, like, M performance version of it. But it's plenty. It's more horsepower and performance than you're going to need on a daily basis. Uh, and, you know, it looks good. It's This one's red, so it's nice with dark wheels and black dark trim. Like, it just, it just it's, uh, I think it's like the dad SUV. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the MDX is available with their, their sport hybrid system as well, but not just, you can't get that combination with the, a spec appearance 
Uh, yeah. So the the sport hybrid, you know, gives you it's a it's a three motor hybrid system with um, or two two motor hi- three motor hybrid system. So you've got uh, two motors on the the front axle and then another one for the rear um, doing the um, uh, the the rear propulsion. Oh, so and, that's interesting. So it'll it's got two. Why does it have two motors on the front axle? Is that a soaking torque vector, or is that just? No, it's uh, it's the the Honda two motor hybrid oh, system. Oh, oh. So it's based right, on the right, Honda okay. two motor hybrid system, you know, which uses one primarily for propulsion and the other one mainly for regen. But it can also mix them together and use them both for propulsion. Um, so you get some extra power out of it. And then the the third motor is on the on the rear axle uh, to give you your your rear drive and on demand all wheel drive. You know, I I bet that one drives really well too, though. Especially because yeah, no, the, it does. I, I had I had one. Last, uh, last about a year ago, um, and it was really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I I will admit to being biased for Acura vehicles. I just I think that they make cars that I like, and so they must listen to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I yeah. mean, I think they're they're just tidy. If you're a performance enthusiast or just an auto enthusiast, you're still going to like the MDX in a spectrum, even though it 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 is a big family crossover. Yeah, so you know the the MDX got a mid cycle refresh middle of 2017 uh, with the new the new grill and everything, um, and so it's probably going to get you know it's probably going to be all new you know in an, about another year and a half. So we'll probably see it you know uh, at the probably see the new one um, sometime you know uh, the first half of next year. You know, maybe it, maybe at uh, the New York Auto Show, I think is where they usually show the MDX, um, and then you know towards the end of the year, we'll probably see a, a new one that will get rid of that infotainment system and adopt something like what they have in the RDX. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what else they need to do is they need to uh, recalibrate their their ADAS, their adaptive cruise and stuff. It'll it'll follow and stop and go traffic, but it's really abrupt. Uh, so it you know nails the brakes and makes your head bob and stuff and. You wind up shutting it off and just just using your foot, like the old days, because it's smoother. Uh, I I wonder if that might be you know because of the the tire the wheel and tire package that they have on the A spec, uh, they might not have recalibrated it for that, oh. and so it's it's not optimized. Because the last time I drove an MDX, uh, it did not really exhibit that kind of behavior. Huh? It makes that big a difference. It can, yeah. Huh. I mean, other, it's lovely. Because, you know, you, get, I, I, you, get, you know, the the inertia of the wheels is a lot different. You know, when you've got the bigger, heavier wheels on there, everything, you know, is going to respond differently than, than what you would normally do. Um, and so if you haven't specifically calibrated it for that, then then you could have some performance that is less than optimal. Wow, that's that. I, I didn't realize it would be that drastic. Um, yeah, that's a, like, honestly, those are really the two sort of areas that I think are – a little bit behind on it are just the, the infotainment and the the calibration of some of those those features the adaptive features but otherwise it's really again Acura makes good stuff for uh very competitive prices in every sort of segment that they're in so let's, let's move on let's hit some topics um let me pull up the list here and so our first uh we, we got asked actually to give some some opinions the specific request for opinions on sales and earnings that came out. Uh, so uh, do you want to start there or, or is there something else you'd rather start with? Uh, no, it sounds good as anything. Um, okay. 
so you know uh sales came out today as we're recording on uh, on thursday um the, the october sales and um you know overall uh hold on let me find the, the right tab here overall sales in october were relatively flat you know it was up like uh 0.4 percent um for the month uh, which is better than I think better than some people expected, um, you know. But there's definitely some some troubling areas there. You know, obviously cars were down for, for pretty much everybody. Um, with interestingly, with the, the exception of Hyundai, I think Hyundai's small car sales were actually up, um, but but everything else was you know was pretty much a a bomb as far as cars went, um, and. You know, Ford actually got hit pretty hard um, on their car sales. Uh, let's see, Ford was down four percent overall, even though their their truck sales were up significantly um, over, year over year. And you know, all, all of that. You know, w- one of the the trends that we're seeing is that affordability is really starting to become an issue for for everybody. Uh, you know, this is, you know, overall for the year, you know, uh, sales are down and sales have been pretty much flat compared to last year. And, you know, we're, we're not seeing growth because, you know, because, um, both prices are going up and also, um, interest rates are going up and it's, it's, it's making it harder to get payments on these things. And that was, that was what I was alluding to is just, it's more expensive now to borrow. And we've had, I mean, gosh, what, a decade of 0% or 1% financing on everything. So it's kind of a shock to the system when you go to trade in your car and you want to get a new car and the loan is 3 or 4%, which is still, like, that's a really good rate, but it's not what it was. It's not flat, you know? So that can be a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and... You know what? One of the things we are seeing is you know the transaction prices are going up. Um, you know, like at Ford, I think their their average transaction prices were up like thirteen hundred dollars uh, compared to last year. You know, so even though their sales were down, you know, they're actually getting more money because the the vehicles are more expensive, and and people are opting for you know increasingly for utilities and trucks, which you know generally carry higher price tags than. Uh, than equivalent uh, cars. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that those are the people who have the money too. You know, yeah, <laughs> like they can they it, can still afford to buy cars or buy new right. vehicles. That may be why Hyundai's small car n- numbers are where they are because uh, it, that's the end of the market that's buying cars. But they they want a good value. They can't afford, you know, a, a more expensive middle of the you know middle of the pack car. So they're looking to maximize that that dollar, and Hyundai is pretty solid in that area. You know, they make good cars for good prices. So uh, that that's con- mostly conjecture on my part, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's where it is. You know, where do we? So we're still at like the the this month the seasonally adjusted annual rate. Uh, so SAR was seventeen point six million, something like that. Like, uh, was it that high? I, I don't think it was I, that high. It was in the seventeens, anyway. Seventeen. I think. I think it's probably closer to low seven. I, I, I might be wrong. I'm. I'm not sure, but I, I would think it'd probably be closer to low seventeens than 
than the mid to upper 17s because sales are you know sales are so far this year are basically flat compared to 2017 um yeah, yeah in 2017 we sold just over 17 million so i wouldn't expect it to to be much over you know 17 1 at the most yeah i'll i will look again but i mean like what are we going to do when you say like you know your your thought ford's uh getting out of the car business like they may have no choice <laughs> but to get out of the car business uh, well and that's exactly why they're you know why they opted not to um bring the new focus here because you know they just didn't feel they could sell enough of them to make it worthwhile um and you know similarly you know fiat chrysler a couple of years ago dropped the Dodge Dart and the the Chrysler 200 because they they couldn't sell enough of them to justify it, you know, and they needed the the plant capacity for vehicles that that they could actually make money on. Yeah, but I'm you know we're looking at Ford and like they're down overall. Even their even the F series was down, right, compared to some of the competitors. It, it it's it, uh, they're um, I'm looking now like this, I think this is Ford overall was off like three and a half percent um for like the whole division but i i think they're facing stiff competition from all corners uh so if the trucks fall and the cars fall even further ford's in real trouble that's my concern of, i mean yeah i mean the f series was down seven percent seven point three percent in in october um by comparison you know at fiat chrysler uh ram sales ram pickup sales were up 11 percent so, um, you know, that's, but, you know, FCA also has brand new pickups in the showrooms. You know, they've right. got brand new F1 or brand new Ram 1500s and, you know, the, they're, you know, starting to crank up the production on those and, you know, they're, they're doing well, you know, people are buying them. Yeah. So maybe that's, maybe that's the key is that, uh, you know, I guess you're right. Like Ford is now the F series is the elder statesman. At, l- at least among the domestics, I mean, you know, there's is, there's a, there's also still the Toyota Tundra out there, but yeah, I mean, did, did it's going on ten years old now. Oh, that thing's and it feels older. Uh, yeah, I mean, even the even the it, Titan, it felt I old like, when it was like, new. That's true. That's true, and it it doesn't it doesn't look any better than it ever has. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's okay if you take it on its own. It's fine. It's, it's good if you especially if you get the like seventeen something or other ranch edition. It's it's nice ish. Um, I, I totally don't. I don't get the Tundra. Uh, it's a Toyota, and I get that. So that must be. I mean, it, it's re, it's reliable, um, yeah. you know, and you know it it has the the characteristics that you expect when you buy a Toyota. But you know, when you compare it to its direct comp- competition, it's just not really that competitive. You know, I mean, so far this year, you know, they sold uh, ninety seven thousand. Tundras, which is actually up about two percent from last year. Yeah, see, um, but Toyota is smart. They haven't bet the entire farm on pickups. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> they only have the two: the, t- the Tacoma and the Tundra. Yeah, the Tacoma actually sells a lot better than the Tundra does. Oh, Tacoma- I mean, have you tried to find a used Tacoma ever? Like, as <laughs> yeah. just to, to price them out? They, they, well, yeah. so far, so far this year, they've sold two hundred and four thousand Tacomas versus ninety-seven thousand. Tundras, so it sells twice as many as the Tundra. Yeah, um, that's a very popular truck. Y- yeah, it, it is, and, and it's it's definitely the the sales leader in the midsize segment. I think, pretty sure it is. So, yeah. I wouldn't i I would be surprised if it wasn't. Um, yeah. So, looking at automotive news, the uh, for October, the SAR was seventeen point five nine million. 
Okay. So the forecasts were like 17.3, right where you were, you know, where you were saying. Um, so I, it, that was a surprise to me that we're that high, and that's just October. So there's still there's a couple of months yeah. left. There, yeah, there's um, still there's still two months for sales to completely fall apart. Yeah, and I mean, you're gonna have to start the, the ads with the bows on the cars now. Yeah, and you know the the way the way that they calculate SARS, it's kind of a complex formula anyway. So just because you know the the SAR right now is at seventeen five, you know if they continue on the pace that they're on, actual end of year is probably going to be somewhere around seventeen one, seventeen two right. maybe. Yeah, I figured it was fuzzy math, and you would have the answer. See? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I'm not buying a car this year because. Well, I don't need one, but it's also like it's it's expensive, more expensive now than it was the last time. Um, although I guess if you want a sedan, you could probably get a really good deal. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, you know who who had almost as bad a month? What Brandon had almost as bad a month as Genesis this month is uh, is Scion. Uh, they were down fifty percent. They, Wait, uh, they're dead. <laughs> Okay, so they so they sold one. You know, there was one still sitting on a lot somewhere that got sold this month. You know, versus two the month before. Um, You know, so far so far in 2018, they've sold three of them. So there's there's still a handful of them around. If you if you if you really really want a Scion, um, you know, um, I think there might be a Toyota dealer somewhere that still has one. But that's it's always yeah, it's always entertaining to look at these. Yeah. Looking at these these like numbers when they get broken out, we discovered um, that Honda sold one CRZ. Yeah, <laughs> from somewhere. Uh, so that was kind of amusing to see. Uh, I saw that on Twitter. Um, but also, you know, the thing that that surprised me too was Lincoln is down over last year, and yet they've been pretty aggressive about trying to give Lincoln new product, especially, you know, the Navigator, and they've renamed a couple of the models and updated them, but they're, they're just, they haven't moved the needle, um, which I, I thought was kind of a shame. Well, um, you know, the the um, the Continental and the MKZ are both down pretty heavily. Oh, uh, well, I mean, yeah. They're, they're down 30, almost 32% combined. Um, you know, MKC is down 8.5%. Uh, MKX is down 20%, but <clears throat> they're they're just starting to ship the Nautilus, which is the refreshed version of that, to dealers. So, you know, we'll probably see, you know, uh, in the next next month, uh, you know, we'll probably see a jump in that one as the Nautilus replaces the MKX. And, um, you know, the one that's really been a, a hit is the Navigator. It was up 70% compared to last yeah. year. They, they sold 1,100 Navigators. You know, and it's up eighty-one yeah. percent so far for the year. Well, that, I mean, I I think that that reflects the yes, that that's a good car for Lincoln, and they need that, and I think that it it does what it does uh, quite well. I I personally haven't seen a Continental in the last I want to say in the last six months without livery plates on it. I've not <laughs> yeah. seen a privately owned Continental. Un- unfortunately, that that is where most of them seem to be ending up is in livery fleets. So if um, you want a really good deal on a Continental, when the livery fleets sell them off in a year or two, you can get one with like 60,000 miles on it, probably pretty cheap. Like they're going to yeah. flood the market. Um, no, absolutely. So I think the value of that car is dead for a long time. 
Yeah. It's, it's not a bad car. It's just. But I, I think, you know, 2019 is going to be interesting to watch for Lincoln, you know, because they've got the, uh, you know, the, the Navigator, uh, the, the Nautilus, uh, and then the Aviator will be coming out in the spring. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, that's going to really kind of hit the heart of the market for, um, for Lincoln next year. Yeah. So they're not dead yet. They're no. hanging on. No. <laughs> they're, they're, right. They are not yet a dead brand walking. Um, I do. I do worry about Ford in particular. Just, you yeah, know, although, you know they 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 took a hit on their um, on their their latest earnings. You know their earnings were down pretty substantially, um, and uh, you know a big part of that. You know they they said that they um, they took a a, bil- a billion dollar hit in the third quarter because of the tariffs on aluminum and steel. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's not good. Well, and so that, I think that moves us nicely into our next um, topic that we can sort of dovetail with this, which, you know, GM also took a hit uh, and they offered buyouts as a sort of a cost cutting measure too. So it seems like every domestic automaker is, is getting whacked by, you know, sales volume, uh, tighter lending and tariffs. Yeah, you know, um GM made two and a half billion dollars in the third quarter. Um, uh, but they they announced today that they are offering buyouts to uh eighteen thousand salaried employees. Uh, you know, and they, they, they haven't I don't think they've said how many they expect to get rid of. But you know, a couple of things that they were uh looking at, you know, when they when they announced the buyouts is that they they want to shift their um their um their employee uh base towards especially you know, uh to get it, bring in more people to work on things like mobility services automated driving electrification you know uh so i think you know where they're looking to get rid of a lot of people is probably you know in the the traditional powertrain area um you know some of the some of the chassis stuff and i think that they're also um, probably going to be reducing the number of models that they have. I think it's it's only a matter of time before we hear GM announce that they're discontinue they're going to be discontinuing a bunch of their uh, car name plates uh, in favor of you know other utilities as well as you know some of the the new electric vehicles that they've got coming on stream in the next couple of years. Um, you know, and one of the the things that they one of the other things that just came out today. Um, I guess uh, Mary Barra, the CEO, sent around uh, an email to to throughout the company, uh, saying that you know they're going to be doing a bunch of cost cutting um, in uh, in the fourth in in the fourth quarter and and into 2019, um, including um, putting on hold some construction projects that they were doing at the Warren Tech Center. You know, over the past couple of years, they've they've been doing a lot of renovations at the Tech Center, uh, upgrading a bunch of the buildings uh, with new technology. Um, you know, they, they completely revamped the R&D Center and, and the uh, uh, Vehicle Engineering Center. And they were just about to get started on uh, an expansion of their design center there. And uh, they've actually put that on hold indefinitely. Um, and I, I suspect that part of that is, you know, they're, they're probably looking at having fewer model lines going forward. And so they probably don't need an expansion of design space at this point. And so that, you know, they, they saw that as a, as a place where they could save some money by not, you know, not 
doing no, not spending that money, you know, which I think amounted to about $300 million. Um, and my guess is that, you know, we're probably also going to be seeing some announcements in the not too distant future from Ford along the same lines. You know, they've got a major revamp going on of their product development center in Dearborn. Um, you know, so I think they'll probably be scaling back some of those changes as well. Uh, at least for the foreseeable future, you know, while they try to get their their financial house in order, you know, all these companies are still making money. They're just making less of it right now because of uh, both, you know, flat sales um, and also increased costs of the materials going into these vehicles. Well, that's one thing that they don't have any control over either is uh, they don't have any clarity on what the next economic move is going to be you know so they they're i think we're going to see them retreat a little bit from taking bold moves they're going to have to be by if they want to survive they're going to have to be a little bit more conservative so they're going to have to space projects out a little bit more and it's not the 1970s any longer either where they have such massive market share among uh all the domestic brands that they can afford to have you know disaster after disaster you know they you can't go from like the Vega to the X car to you know whatever else any any longer. Like that's you can't do that uh, when you're GM, and and they're the biggest of the domestic nameplates too. So to see that everybody's kind of under pressure right now, I, I think it's it's a positive sign. Although in some ways it's a shame, right? That they're trimming models, they're postponing projects, they're offering buyouts. Like all, all of those things are, they're a little bittersweet, but if they don't do those things now. It's be- better to do it now while they're still making a profit than yeah. to wait a year or two, you know, and see themselves in, in red ink again, you know, and then have to struggle even harder. Right. And we saw that, that, that was just 10 years ago that we yeah. saw it the other way. And they, they had their head in the sand for, you know, all of the 2000s. Uh, and for a couple of decades before that too, you know, that was a, a sort of long time coming and they're just not in the position that they were even then, uh, you know, t- to be able to weather that storm. So it's, it's either, I think it's, it's cut or die right now for them. <laughs> they're going to, well, you know. and especially as they look forward, you know, at, uh, you know, the changes that are coming in the auto industry, you know, as you have, you start to have a shift towards automated driving, more mobility services, you know, the potential that um, more people may decide they don't need to own a car, you know, that they can, that they can use other means of getting around. And, you know, there, there's a substantial investment that all these companies are going to have to make in this new technology, both, both automation and also electrification. Uh, because even, you know, even if we don't have here in the U.S., you know, if we don't, you know, if if the the federal government, you know, succeeds in its efforts to roll back fuel economy standards and electrification mandates in California, there, you know, these companies still have to deal with foreign markets. You know, and that's that's the other thing that's been hitting these guys as well is not just the cost of doing business here, but also, you know, we're starting to see a slowdown in China, which, you know, that's been yep. the real growth engine that's been driving the, you know, the auto industry globally. Uh, you know, that that's, you know, Europe has been flat for years for, you know, for the better part of the, the last decade. But and, you know, the U.S., you know, has 
kind of peaked and flattened out over the last couple of years. But the Chinese market has still been roaring ahead. And now that has turned around. And, you know, the Chinese, as well as the Europeans, are pushing heavily for more electric vehicles. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more investment in that. You know, one of the, the stories that's out there today is that um, Ford and, and Volkswagen are actually looking at expanding the relationship that they already established for commercial vehicles um, to potentially share electric vehicle platforms. So we might see Ford using some of the technology from Volkswagen's MEB platform uh, in the next few years. Ah, that wouldn't be tragic. Volkswagen does platforms quite well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, and, and, you know, Ford also knows a thing or two. More GM news, too, is they uh, were asking not only – they didn't just talk about earnings. They were asking for uh, the administration or the government or the EPA. I forget exactly who they e- asked, EPA but they wanted an EV mandate. So, okay. So EPA and NHTSA, they want a mandate for EVs, and I don't, I don't know that you are completely sold on that. Yeah. So back in August, you know, EPA and NHTSA announced that they were going to freeze the fuel economy and CO2 emissions uh, standards at 2020 levels and abandon the plans to keep increasing them on an annual basis through 2025. Um and at the same time, they also wanted to uh, pull California's waiver that allowed them to um, set, you know, to, to mandate a certain percentage of EV sales in that state and in some other states. And um, as part of that process of changing those regulations, um, you know, there's a, a 90-day comment period. And on last Friday, GM submitted their comments and uh, what they you know, what their response to that was that they actually would rather than eliminating the California waiver and, and mandate, they actually want to have a national zero emission vehicle mandate um, to require sales of, of zero emission vehicles everywhere in the U.S., not just in California and, and the other nine states that follow their rules. Um, and also, they don't want the fuel economy standards frozen. They they want them to continue increasing, although at a lesser rate than what the um, you know what the Obama administration had called for. Uh, so they want to slow down that increase, but they do want it to continue increasing. You know, basically they want they want the standards to reflect the market realities. The fact that you know people aren't. You know, when when those standards were developed, you know, it was based on assumptions of a certain percentage of sales being smaller cars, and with yeah. every with the market shifting to um, utilities and and trucks, you know, it made it a lot harder to hit those targets, and so you know they want they want to adjust those standards, um, slow it down, but not not freeze them, uh, and as part of that, what another thing that they asked for is to you know potentially get extra credits for deploying uh, EVs or or highly fuel efficient vehicles into ride hailing services um, because you know the presumption there is that you know you put you put those vehicles into a mobility service like that they're going to be accumulating a lot more miles than a typical individually owned vehicle and so if they're more efficient they are going to have a bigger impact and especially you know if People, you know, if people are driving their own vehicles less and using these various kinds of mobility services in place of that, 
those those more efficient vehicles or electric vehicles in those services are going to have a bigger environmental impact than if the same number of vehicles have been sold to individuals. So, you know, rather than getting 15,000 miles a year at this high rate of efficiency, you've got them accumulating 100,000 miles a year. Um, and so they want extra credit for that uh, as part of part of their response. And similarly, um, you know, Honda today um, published their comments and they, you know, agree with GM. They didn't say anything about the ZEB mandate, but they, they did agree with GM that they – you know, they want to slow down the rate of increase, but they don't want to freeze the standard at 2020 levels. Well, I mean, I I agree with both Honda and GM, and I th- those are, that's a lot of fights for the administration to pick, like on a couple of different fronts, you know, rolling back the uh, emissions uh, waiver for California. It's, that's a whole other thorny issue. I think it's it's. It's kind well, of that's, that's a battle that's going to um, go on in the courts for at least three or four more years, you know, maybe longer before yeah. it gets settled. I mean, quite honestly, we've seen the results of California having its own standards and jurisdictions that are, are tighter than the, the rest of the nation. And, you know, I live in a region where every other state around me, we, we all have California emissions. And, you know, while there's certainly some liberties, I guess, that are curtailed, it's not really anything that the average person is is affected by. Uh, the bigger issue, I think, is to achieve some of those California emissions standards, we've had to use a lot of software and uh, very sophisticated cars. And so you get dinged on the right to repair thing, and that's a whole other thing. So there's there's a cascade of issues there. But um, I think those Obama-era standards were rolled out with the the idea that your fuel was going to remain at, you know, three-something or $4 a gallon, and it dropped. So that skewed everything. So it seems reasonable to me that we continue to make improvements because we haven't you, you haven't lost anything really uh by making cars more efficient uh and uh less polluting, right? Like we all benefit. The only people that lose are the, the petroleum companies that are making fuel. You know, they they have to make fuel to a different standard. Uh, I think it's because it varies a lot by by region. Um, the, the what's in gasoline or just that particular mix. So that that screws things up a little bit. But also, you know, like if we're using less of it, they're not selling as much of it. Right. <laughs> so they're not happy about that. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it all. They, both of those comments seem reasonable to me. Yeah. You know. Uh, unfortunately, you know the uh, the. Uh, the idea of a national ZEV mandate, you know, I think is probably DOA. I, I you know, the, the I think it's pretty it goes pretty much without saying that the Trump administration is not going to do that. You know, they're 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 not going to mandate that a certain percentage of vehicles sold in the U.S. have to be electric. They, you know, they don't want electric cars at all. You know, they they want they want more cars. You know, that are burning more fuel. I. I have a lot of things to say about that. <laughs> I just think it's wrong. That's all. I don't disagree. That, that, that encapsulates that, which is just, yeah. Um, should we, should we move on before we get ourselves into a, yeah. a deep heated discussion? So, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. 
That's uh... Uh, consumer reports. That, that, I think that's actually the last thing uh, was the consumer reports uh, reliability. Yeah. So uh, rankings. And- yeah. So consumer reports issued their 2018 reliability cert- study uh, last week, and um, the uh, the Japanese brands, uh, you know, interestingly uh, finished on top. Um, with Again. You know, with <laughs> Lexus and Toyota at number one and two, followed by Mazda and and Subaru, uh, and then and then Kia and uh, and surprisingly uh, Audi came in at number seven. Uh, you know, and we had a question from uh, from who, who was it from? Was it from John on Twitter? I think asking about the uh, reliability, or was it? That was an email uh, one. He was, I think. He oh, that was, was, a, there was the uh, sales. Yeah, I think there, there was a there was an email question here that uh, from James, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so his question was why certain brands like Honda and Toyota consistently achieve better reliability than other brands, especially German makes like BMW. Do you agree that Japanese and Korean brands are generally more reliable? Uh, is it because the German designs are more complex, or do they use lower quality components? Personally, the least reliable car I ever had was a two. 2002 BMW 325i with a manual transmission. Problems with uh, window motors, radio, and heater blower, among other things, over five years. But this was my favorite car of all that I've owned. Love to drive it. So for me, the reliability issues were not a deal breaker. Um, I think uh, our friend Casey Liss uh, would probably have some interesting comments on that since (laughs) he recently uh, finally got out of a BMW that he had owned for several years, uh, another three series that... uh, he had uh, one or two issues with uh, over the, the time that he owned it uh, that I, th- I think he ended up spending more on repairs on that car than he actually paid for it when he bought it. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, or, or if not, it was pretty close. Um, so, yeah, you know, the the BMW in particular and, and to a lesser degree, uh, Mercedes and, and, uh, and Volkswagen and Audi, uh, have generally done worse on the reliability surveys. I know, you know, a couple of Volkswagens that I owned, we had quite a uh, unprecedented number of issues cons- relative to all the other vehicles I've ever owned. Um, you know, I think I don't think that it's um, lower quality components. Um, no, I, they usually have good stuff. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think I think it, I think it is thing. the complexity, and you know, I was uh, I was at uh, an event last week where Jake Fisher from uh, uh, Consumer Reports was presenting the results of their their 2018 survey. Uh, you know, and what they do is they they survey consumers union members um, about you know the the issues that they've had with their cars, and uh, you know a lot of it does come down to complexity and especially you know a lot of newer technology. And what you typically find is that you know the when vehicles are all new, you know, fresh in the marketplace that have significant changes in the technology, significant new features, that is when they tend to have a lot of reliability issues. And then, you know, over time, yeah, they, like st- they tend to stuff, sort those stuff up. Stuff like window motors and things like that, like, th- those are not things that you should have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, yes. Some- I, I understand BMWs with their, like, the N55 or N54, yeah. how that had issues. But other stuff should not be issues. So that that's where I get a little baffled. Yeah. You know, I... And I think it's it's not necessarily you know the the window motors, but maybe you know the some of the electrical system, you know maybe bad connectors, bad wiring, uh, and there's all kinds of things that can 
you know, and you know, in in this case here, you you know, um, Jim had uh, window motors, the radio, and the heater blower uh, all coming, you know, all all causing problems. So, you know, it may be that the the core issue is actually something else in the electrical system that is impacting these other things because, you know, anything that's electrically driven, you know, can can be susceptible to problems caused by power surges or you know poor 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 power quality in the electrical system you know that's you know that's why we use surge suppressors at home to protect our electronics at home you know and you know manufacturers try to do that you know on their vehicles as well you know they try to protect against that but you know things do happen out there and electrical electrical related issues you know these days tend to be the most common types of issues but you know also sometimes you know things like new transmissions uh new types of transmissions uh-huh. those those often have issues um so i i think it's i think it's more the complexity um than necessarily the quality of the components themselves although you know that can yeah. certainly play a factor well i think you know from my experience with with european cars was that uh yes there's there's that level of complexity the parts are generally you know good stuff like you know from good suppliers and they're they're not cheap um and the cars themselves are, are or at least they're not inexpensive generally. right <laughs> as, <laughs> as opposed exactly. to being cheap something something um, can be expensive and still be cheap but they are they're very sophisticated the european cars that we get in this market uh they are usually on the premium side, except for something like Volkswagen, which still is slightly premium comparatively. Uh, and so when they do have problems, you've got a more sophisticated part that fails a little harder <laughs> and is more expensive, even down to, even down to engine mounts, right? Like it's not just a puck of rubber. It's sometimes they're hydraulic or they've got a little vacuum diaphragm in them to you know, go up to the intake manifold and have a counteracting pulse that cancels out a rocking motion. Like it sounds crazy, but like those are the things that make those cars super nice to to be in when they're brand new. And so when that stuff starts to to age, you do wind up with issues. You hope that you get more than four years out of <laughs> out of it before you start seeing problems. So uh it I I went down the same road with European cars where like they're lovely but I found even, you know, even an American brand, you know, with not such a great reputation has been more trouble free. Uh, and, and we're now in the, that period with the Jeep where, you know, the last European cars I bought were in the, you know, 55,000 miles already on them. And so I'm I'm now at a hundred with the Jeep and I've had, you know, the last 50,000 miles have been more trouble free with this car than it was with any of the relatively new uh volvos we had so i know it's just an anecdote but uh but, yeah you know i, I, I mean think, it's, um, it's it's also consistent with you know with the experience that i've had uh you know again owning owning a couple of vws you know that they're they're great cars to drive and not always great cars to own yeah so lease them yeah or you know i mean <laughs> to, to, you know today you know they are you know at least you know VW has dramatically increased their their warranty on their new cars. You know it's now six years bumper to bumper on new Volkswagens. You know and presumably you know that means that they have confidence that that they're not going to have a lot of issues in that time frame. You know because it would it would get very costly for them if they do. 
Um, so, yeah. you know, it, as long as the manufacturer, you know, has got a good warranty and, and honors that warranty, then you've got a decent, you know, a, a better chance of, uh, of having a good experience. Yeah. And I, I like, I, I don't know how much stock I put in the idea that the Japanese manufacturers are, you know, heads and shoulders above everyone else. Although, you know, that seems to be borne out by the the results here, the American brands are way, way down on the on the list. I think that the best American brand was like 14 or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, like Ram was actually near the bottom of the list, um, you know, because they had some issues with um, with their, you know, because the the thing with the Consumer Reports Reliability Survey is it actually covers vehicles over a multi-year period. So it's not just, you know, 2018 model cars it's you know going going back several years and you know if you go back a few years at fca you know when they first launched their new nine-speed automatic transmissions they they had a number of issues with those and you know those problems were reflected in some of this also the the eight-speed transmissions um you know and they you know they had some other various issues with various things when they were relatively new and you know we'll see how that you know, as they proceed forward, you know, if that gets any better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that the Toyota is sort of, you know, their, their whole production system, um, does make a, a very good product. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's repeatable. Uh, so like, I, I don't know why, We've got it, that that basic philosophy seems to have spread throughout the industry in, in various permutations. Right? Like uh, you know, uh, Ford and GM both sort of practice their own kind of you know Kanban kind of thing these days. It's it's different, but it's it's not as different as it had been. You know, they all learned from Toyota with the way Toyota was doing things back in the day when its quality was consistently just way higher uh, than everybody else. Uh, so I, I don't I, like. I'm just saying I don't I don't know how much I really can agree with the the percent. It's more I, if they're see that's the hard thing I'm I'm kind of struggling with. Like if they're actually at the top of the list, then there's more than just perception to the the idea that they make you know higher quality cars. Um, clearly, if they're at the top of the list, they do. So I don't know how to square that. You know, is it is it opinion or is it factor? Is it kind of a little bit of both? Uh, you know, I mean, even, you know, Jake, you know, acknowledged that there is some, you know, some degree of perception in in the way um, the way people respond, you know, on the surveys, um, you know, the what they part, you know, part of it is, you know, what they expect to work properly Um you know, versus what actually, you know, causes a problem. So th there, there is some subjectivity in it, in the, in the nature of the way it's done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always the thing, right? Lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> I, I will say uh, consumer reports does a really, you know, a pretty thorough job of trying to make their, their stuff accurate. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's certainly the biggest survey of its kind. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's been ongoing. The thing that they, they do, and they're they're very upfront about this too. Is you know the people who respond to this are subscribers, and so they they buy what we rate. Yeah, <laughs> and so they have a very large sample set of like Toyota Camry owners. They probably have a lot fewer Dodge Challenger owners. 
that are responding to that survey. So they have to they have to play with the numbers to to get them to to, to you know to, to true up, I guess, a bit. Um, so the raw data is less uh, less helpful than than once they've gone through a massage. But if you know these these are their official numbers, and I'm sure that they've gone through in a very thoughtful way and uh, made them pretty pretty accurate but there's also there's you know you could look at iqs and then the 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 jd power sort of their long-term durability the three-year durability survey so and this kind of rolls that into to one sort of metric i know they're they're two different surveys or that you know they're two two different methodologies and all of that but you know consumer reports because they have that backwards look in these numbers like it's both it's it's like both the initial quality and the durability together and that that's really important. You know, the initial quality is, is a lot easier to hit than a car that's going to hold together for even three years. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, what's our next question? All right. So next up uh, from Brian Stoner. I uh, wanted to know if we've heard anything new about the plans for the Hyundai pickup or any other smaller pickups. Uh, he says he has a small house and the trucks made after about 2004, 2005 are too big to fit in his garage. Uh, so, yes, the Hyundai pickup, the, the Santa Cruz, is an ongoing project. Uh, it will probably come out in 2020, I think. Um, it, you know, work is ongoing on that. Uh, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think it's going to be quite as small as the concept that we saw. It's probably going to be something closer to a midsize, uh, you know, more along the lines of uh, the Honda Ridgeline than, you know, than the um, than the, the compact pickup truck that we saw as the Santa Cruz a couple of years ago. But there, there absolutely is a Hyundai pickup truck coming. I, I think that, that would be fantastic to have another truck that's like unibody based mm-hmm. in roughly the size of of the Ridgeline. I, I think if you if you want a truck that's not as humongous, the Ridgeline is will probably fit. And anywhere you can put an Odyssey, you can put a Ridgeline. Yeah, yeah. So. And I think you know, there's a lot of people that that buy trucks, you know, for personal use that probably buy a lot more truck than they actually need. And, you know, that those, those people should really, you know, be considering vehicles like the Ridgeline as an alternative to, you know, the full size pickup trucks. I, yeah, I think the Ridgeline is, is very underrated, especially because when you look, like we were talking about just earlier in the podcast, a $70,000 pickup. Okay. The Ridgeline it's in the twenties to start and it's very well equipped at that, that number. And you can't really push it all that high in pickup terms. It doesn't get that expensive. And it's, you know, for, for that occasional use kind of weekend warrior thing, it's the perfect like suburban truck, you know, that doesn't get used on a job site. And I I think you'd find that uh, it's really, that's the right kind of truck for a lot of truck buyers. We've said that before. So. Yep, absolutely. Um, All right. One last yeah. question uh, before we wrap it up uh, from uh, from Peter. Uh, he uh, likes the uh, podcast. Thank you very much, Peter. And um, he says, uh, between newer and older episodes, there are two topics I don't recall being addressed. Um, 
Okay, uh, I'm pretty sure we have addressed them, but we'll address them yet again. Uh, with all the efforts and discussions about autonomous mobility, there's surprisingly little time spent on developing infrastructure, such as roadside tags or even in-surface guide wires, that would be much better suitable for machines rather than going through all the trouble of designing machines to understand human signs, lines on the road, etc. There would be absolutely significant it would be absolutely significant cost, but is it really cheaper to maintain painted lines and design all this crazy computing to follow that, uh, to follow that? Never mind that you wouldn't work for half a year up here in Canada anyways. Uh, related, do you know why the efforts to design vehicles communicating with each other seem to less and less be less and less on the forefront of any um, communicated progress about autonomous vehicles? So, you know, as far as, you know, building automated vehicles that rely on infrastructure, um, that's, you know, that's really problematic, um, you know, to, you know, back in the late 90s, you know, there were some experiments done with putting, um, you know, magnets, you know, put uh, in some roadway, they did a, a stretch of roadway in Southern California, where they did did some testing there. Uh, GM was involved in that. Um, it worked okay. But, you know, th- Systems like that are hard to implement. They're very costly to do. Um, and they, you know, there's not much flexibility for it. It's fine for, you know, doing like uh, highway driving, but for city driving, urban driving, where you really need a lot more flexibility, you know, in terms of where the vehicles can go, you know, if you're going to do automated vehicles, you you want them to be able to go pretty much anywhere and everywhere where passengers need them to go. And, right. you know, to, to have to rely on the infrastructure, um, you know, especially anything embedded in the road is, is going to be problematic, you know, um, especially in cold weather areas where, you know, big chunks of roadway tend to regularly pop out of the, uh, <laughs> the, the roadbed. Um, well, maybe the roads in Canada are better. Um, well, they're, they're generally better than Michigan, uh, from my experience. Yeah. But still, you know, you do still get potholes. Um, well, I think that too, like the the guide wires, the embedded uh, magnets, or other ways like that, that works. You know, if you're making an amusement park ride, or something like that, where you have a very controlled situation. And I, I don't mean to be flip about it. I'm just like it's a it's a it's a basic solution. Like, yeah, I mean, where where you've got a actually a cons- the very first a consistent thing that you're trying to do. It's fine for that. It would be fine, you know, for for buses, you know, that are running on yeah. a fixed route. But you know, where you've got to have point to point operation, it's just not going to be flexible enough. Yeah, and and it's maybe combined with other stuff. See, here's the thing: if you have the guide wires, you still have to combine it with other technologies that is is looking for pedestrians and looking for those, you know, for other cars that aren't automated, right? So at at a certain point, you you wind up being able to to throw away that like relying on on, on a simple thing just for your your bearings right you can do that with gps or or well you can, yeah you can't really sense. rely so much on gps either it's not really precise enough <laughs> or or reliable enough uh especially in urban environments um that's true Okay. But, uh, you know, the other part of this question, you know, was about vehicle to vehicle communications. And, you know, this is an area where there's still ongoing work. Um, you know, unfortunately, now, you know, we've gone from having one technology that, you know, the industry was moving towards, which is DSRC or dedicated short range communications. And, you know, under the Obama administration, you know, in the waning days of the administration, they issued a 
uh, a rule, you know, regulation, um, you know, that went into comment period, um, you know, to mandate vehicle to vehicle communications based on DSRC, uh, which would have gone into effect from 2020. Um, unfortunately, um, that rule has the uh, NHTSA has not moved forward on that regulation. And now, you know, we've actually because they've um, first of all, they, they don't want any new regulations um, in the current administration. And also there has been some pushback from other companies, particularly the cellular wireless providers and also um, some uh, chip companies like Qualcomm and Huawei um, that prefer to rather than using DSRC, which is based on Wi-Fi technology and is free uh, and, you know, there's no, it doesn't go through any networks. It, you know, it's just, it's a completely peer to peer system. Um, you know, they want to use uh, cellular V to X. Uh, so basically using the cellular radio to do that. And there's testing going on with it right now, uh, but it hasn't really been proven out yet. Um, it may yet come to fruition. Toyota earlier this year did announce that starting in 2021, they're going to roll out DSRC across their entire lineup. Uh, for V to V communications, uh, they already have it, you know, on a bunch of vehicles in Japan and the Japanese market. And um, last year, uh, GM did launch it on uh, the Cadillac CTS here in, in North America. Um, so there, there are some vehicles out there that have it, uh, but not enough. And I think, you know, personally, you know, I think that um, autonomous vehicles should absolutely be equipped with V to X communications. So V to X is vehicle to everything, um, you know, vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, um, you know, especially for vehicle to vehicle, you know, so they can communicate their intent to each other um, and communicate with each other. But, um, you know, most companies right now are holding back on doing that until things settle out as far as which technology they're going to use. Um, and why can't they get together and force a standard? They, most of the industry got together and there, there are standards for, you know, the messaging and the communications protocols and, you know, a whole bunch of companies got together and developed DSRC and made sure it was all interoperable. And there, there are standards for how DSRC works, um, and, and how, you know, so that, you know, any company putting DSRC systems out there, it will all work the same. Um, you know, and they'll all be able to talk to each other. Um, unfortunately, so far, GM is the only company in North America to actually put it in production. Um, and, yeah. you know, some companies that were previously supporting DSRC have now, uh, notably Ford, have now shifted over to the CV to X camp. Um, so, you know, it's it's all kind of a mess right now. And probably um, until... You know, until there's a change in policy at the uh, federal level, you know, to actually mandate one technology or the other, um, probably nothing much is going to happen until, at least until Toyota starts rolling out theirs in production. Um, you know, part of the reason why Toyota made their announcement, you know, they, they said, you know, we're going to go ahead and do this um, is because they wanted the rest of the industry to come along with them. They said, because the thing is, you know, it, it only really starts to make sense when you get a critical mass of vehicles being equipped with right. the technology. Um, and, you know, if there's, you know, right now there's about 20,000 Cadillacs out there that have it, you know, and if they happen to encounter each other, they can send messages to each other. <laughs> but, you know, that's, 
you know, that's to start, but it's not much, you know, out of 280 million cars on the road uh, in the U.S. Um, so Toyota made their announcement because they, they said, look, we're going to commit to this, you know, and we want the rest of the industry to come along with us. Uh, so it's that chicken and egg problem. Um, no, nope, you know, other manufacturers were waiting until somebody else would commit to it. And so now Toyota has, so hopefully some of the others will come along. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, um, we'll see how the, there's a pilot program that's supposed to be starting soon in Colorado, uh, that Qualcomm is running with, with Panasonic and a couple other companies to test, uh, CV to X and we'll see how that works out. Um, but it's, you know, it's probably going to be a while before we see any, critical mass of the technology out there um yeah i mean the the cynic in me just thinks that uh you know rather having it rather than having it go through you know free spectrum right wi-fi uh carriers would like to get some sort of fee for using their networks and and that spectrum uh, which just it just bugs me. Yeah, it's it's well, our spectrum. For for what it's worth, you know, the CV to X actually is using the same spectrum. Uh, you know, the FCC back in the late '90s set aside uh, a band of 5.9 gigahertz spectrum specifically for um, you know intelligent transportation systems for V to X communications. That's, and that's kind of high frequency, though. Does that have problems with like foliage and other issues? Um, uh, the, like just blocking it. I mean, it, 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 it depends, you know, in general, you know, it's good for, um, depending on the conditions, anywhere from 300 to a thousand meters range, which is, uh, that'll work. yeah, it's, it's sufficient. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I mean, it, we've had, there's been a test going on here in Ann Arbor for the last five years, uh, a pilot test, um, yeah, and my wife's car, her previous car, was part of that test program for about four years, almost four years. Um, you know, they they've had several thousand cars equipped with DSRC radios, and they put up roadside units as well. You know, to test the vehicle to infrastructure communications. Um, you know, and you know they they've got it pretty much nailed down. It works. You know, it's it's proven technology uh, at this point, and. Um, you know, the CV to X would still use for at least for the vehicle to vehicle part of it would still, you know, because that would still be a peer to peer system. It would still use the same. Uh, it do doesn't have to go through the cellular network. It's using cellular radios, but it doesn't have to go through the, the carrier networks. It just goes directly from one vehicle to another. Um, it's based on LTE uh, or LTE direct okay. technology. And it. Um, uh, you know, so there wouldn't be any cost associated with the uh, the communications part of it. Okay, yeah. all right. Just see, so I'm I'm a, I'm a cynic, but not not necessarily fully informed. But <laughs> but there there is reason to be cynical too, because you know because because the technology has not been widely rolled out yet. Now the, uh, a bunch of the telecommunications companies actually are trying to get the FCC to carve off some of that spectrum and give it to them to use for for other purposes, uh, you know, companies like Verizon and uh, Comcast and AT&T uh, want that 5.9 gigahertz spectrum to do uh, to do Wi-Fi and other stuff with, um, which, you know, to, to provide, you know, free Wi-Fi services or supposedly free Wi-Fi services to, to people, you know, although it wouldn't actually really be that useful uh, to anybody in buildings because it doesn't penetrate buildings very well. It's it's fine on the open road, but not so much in you know to go through walls. So, 
Um, if they get their way, then we might not even have that spectrum to use once we do, you know, settle on a technology. Lots more to come yeah. on that, clearly. So one, one last question but, that Peter had as well is he thinks he understands the pros and cons of plug-in hybrids. One point I haven't heard talked about much is the stability of fuel. In typical plug-in hybrid scenario, it's expected that the majority of travel is done in short commutes, purely electric mode, and the ICE system is only used on occasion for longer trips. However, my understanding is that basic gasoline has a fairly limited lifespan to the point where in equipment such as lawnmowers or snowblowers, it's recommended to add fuel stabilizers as they can go for months on a single tank uh, of gas. Shouldn't this be a concern for plug-in hybrids with limited use of the ICE as well? It is, and automakers have addressed that Um Plug-in hybrids typically have uh, what they call something like a maintenance mode. Uh, you know, when when GM launched the original Chevy Volt back in 2010, it had a maintenance mode. So um, what would happen is uh, every few weeks, if you've been running on electricity, um, at, from time to time, it will turn on the engine and run the engine for a few minutes, um, and the uh, the schedule was set up so that. Over the course of a year, um, you would pretty much consume all of the fuel in the tank, uh, even if you're plugging it in all the time and, and using it just you know primarily on electricity. It will go through the fuel in a tank um, in about a year, and you know if you keep adding fresh fuel to it, then it, you know it'll be fine. But otherwise, it, it will it will use up that fuel. Um, to make sure that you don't have stale fuel in the tank, you know, because it does, it, you're right, it does get oxidized. It will go bad over time. And so, you know, they did a couple of things that, you know, they, they, they make sure that it gets used up. And they also, you know, uh, have used uh, sealed fuel tanks, you know, so that there's less oxygen getting in there, um, you know, to, to contaminate the fuel. Yeah, I, I will say, though, I've never had an issue with fuel in any of my power equipment uh and i've used some very old hinky gas and stuff um so yeah like i understand it's a concern but I, i'm not sure how reality plays out my experience has been like it's a thought that crossed my mind and i also thought like well let's see what we can get away with if i have to rebuild the carburetor or like whatever fine um, but I, I haven't had any any actual issues with very old fuel in in power like lawn equipment. So um, I I think that an automobile is going to have an even better fuel system that's more robust that can handle that kind of older fuel, aged fuel, and uh, it, it does burn. <laughs> there is that, uh, even if it's years old. So. Uh, I don't know how big a deal it actually is. I mean, o over the long haul, over multiple years, it, it will get to the point where you may have problems with ignition because, you know, the thing about gasoline is there's, there is no such thing as pure gasoline. All gasoline is a blend of a bunch of different right. hydrocarbons and various other additives. Um, so, you know, the, the, they, you know, you mentioned earlier, Dan, they, um, you know, you have different fuel formulations in different parts of the country. And we also have different fuel formulations at different times of year um, because of, you know, the, the mix of fuel that's in there, you know, sometimes has different qualities. You know, the, the fuel that's used in the wintertime, for example, when it's cold, um, 
they they blend it differently so that it vaporizes more easily. Whereas the fuel right. you that you get from out of the pump in the summertime uh, has lower evaporative uh, qualities, you know, so that you get less less vapor from the fuel. Um, you know, if the fuel is left sitting for an extended period of time, some of those additives will will boil off. You know, it'll it'll they'll vaporize, and so you depending on the the nature of the fuel that you put into a piece of power equipment i have had issues sometimes where you know it's it's a lot harder to start especially when it's cold uh, you know, if, if I have a tank, you know, that I was using in a lawnmower in the summertime, and then I go and dump some of that in my snowblower when it's, you know, 10 degrees outside, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't want to start very well, or it doesn't want to run very well, because the fuel doesn't want to vapor, you know, doesn't want to vaporize properly. Um, so it, you know, that's more of a problem than anything else. But, um, you know, if you're, you know, it's this is something that's usually a problem that occurs when the fuel is left sitting for multiple years, um, yeah. and that's that's not an issue that you're going to have in a plug-in hybrid. You know, the manufacturers have have taken care of that. They'll make sure you know, and typically plug-in hybrids will have smaller fuel tanks anyway. You know, like the Volt only has a nine-gallon fuel tank in it or a ten-gallon tank. Right. Um, so it's going to go through that in the course of a year, yeah. even if it's just. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to use a lot of gas, but you will, it will use up the gas that you have in there. And, you know, there's a, and, you know, I know in the Volt in particular, uh, you know, that there was a, a, there's a model in the engine controller, you know, that tracks, you know, okay, when did you add fuel to it? How much have you used? You know, and it will, it'll go through this maintenance mode periodically, you know, to make sure that, that everything is, um, gets used up and also to make sure that, you know, the oil gets circulated and things like that, you know, to, to make sure the engine doesn't, doesn't seize up, you know, so it'll start up the engine right. from time to time <laughs> just to make sure everything stays well lubricated. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I can understand how it's a concern. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, they, it's been thought yeah. of. Um, and you will know if your gas is old, cause all you have to do is smell it. Old gas has that funky, nasty smell <laughs> that just, it's bad. You know it. And then I just I don't I don't know how you force a plug-in hybrid to go, you know, go through it, but I guess you just deplete the battery and then drive extra long. Well, the the car the car will take care of itself. Every every manufacturer yeah. building these things has has thought of that. Yeah. So there. Uh I think we've allayed everybody's fears. I think uh, I think we've, we've covered a bunch of ground here on on this episode. So it's time for us to uh, say goodnight. Okay, and and next <laughs> and, week we will answer Jarrett's question about how the hell did Tesla make money? Oh, they didn't. That one, <laughs> that one just came in. But uh, you know, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's let's see that maybe, now. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe by next. No? Maybe by next week they will have actually uh, submitted their 10Q to to the SEC and might have a better idea of what's going on. But I think there's definitely some fancy accounting going on there. there I think there's a reason why their most recent uh, chief accounting officer quit after only 30 days on the job. But we'll talk about yeah. that next week. All right. Well, so in the meantime, uh, you can email us, as, as many of you have, uh, wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on social media. We're active. Right We're probably, well, you're active everywhere. But, I'm not uh, active on Facebook anymore. I quit Facebook several months ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it liberating? Oh, it very good? much so, yeah. I totally ignore it. Um, so 
Yeah. So don't don't uh, don't bother reaching out to us on Facebook because uh, <laughs> I certainly won't see it, and chances are Dan won't see the message either. Yeah. But uh, you can use Twitter, you can use email. Go to WillBearings.media. There's a link on there. There's a contact link, and you can send us a message. Uh, that's where we got tonight's questions from, and uh, yeah, we're we're around. You can find us. Yeah, we're not that yeah, hard to people find. People know where to find us. Yeah. Right. People know where to find us. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, please you know, continue to send us communiques, and we will respond to them on the next show. So thanks for listening. All right. Good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.